while I think in many ways, this was one of the worst experiences I've ever gone through. It's actually been one of the best experiences for how it's forced me to grow and evolve into who I am today. And that's someone who I really like. Two years ago, at six months pregnant, we lost our baby girl to an undetected external infection. And what has followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. You know, I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. You know, no one told me that just because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process and that that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect, but why would I know any better? I'm Emily Geds, and this is the Day One Podcast, a show dedicated to the unspoken side of fertility. Here I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents, to be doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation. Let's bring education to the forefront and most importantly, build a community so the journey doesn't feel so lonely. On today's episode, we have my best friend, Amanda Shushat, come on and generously share her three-year fertility journey to her baby boy, Oliver. Why this episode is very special to me is it gives you an understanding and it kind of shows you a conversation between two friends who have been a support system and a lifeline for each other as we've had to navigate, um, you know, IVF and medical intervention and different clinics um, and disappointment and, you know, milestones. Um, Amanda has really been my go-to person for for this she has I think she's cried for me and for my story more than I have I can always rely on her to be the one that's going to show up with that authentic and real emotion for me Um, she's been my person who has sat on a FaceTime with me on my first needles we've known each other since we've been 10 her story is so amazing. She is a pillar of strength. She um, has a lot of twists and turns in her story. And I've just been privileged enough to see her growth and to see her become a mom um, has just been so beautiful. So enjoy. Um, get ready. Have some Kleenex beside you. Yes, because her story is emotional, but mostly because she makes me crack up um, and and just, yeah, I'm just pumped. I'm excited for this one. Hello. 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 <laughs> uh, welcome to the podcast. I've been waiting months to say that to you because I feel like you've been along this journey with me. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I feel like I've been waiting months to be here. I'm so honored to be one of your first guests. There's no one else. 
Um, well, before we kind of get into it, uh, I feel like I need to do an intro and you have so many names and, and meanings to me, but I'm going to see if I can do it, our relationship justice here. <laughs> so wife, mother, managing director of the one of the top Canadian PR agencies, the Colony Project, um, colleague of mine, best friend of mine since we've been, I don't even know how long, how old? Nine? Nine? <laughs> Is that like 20 plus years? Someone that has had a pretty unique journey to becoming a mom. Um, so has been like a huge support for me um, over the past couple of years, especially because we were pregnant together um, when you had your, you know, successful IVF baby. And then I lost Ruby. So we've, it's kind of been an interesting couple of years. That is absolutely true. That sums all of it up. <laughs> that is my full identity right there. But we've definitely gone on a very unique best friend since nine. But I'd say that this whole journey has brought us to a new level of closeness and, and something that we never really thought that we would have to go through together. I know it's like an interesting one, right? Because you don't wish this upon anyone. But then when people in your inner circle start to experience it, it brings you closer, like on a on an, a whole different level. Um, I guess a little bit of a silver lining in all of it. I, I I knew we were close before, but this has definitely pushed us into like a whole different realm. Totally. You find your kindred spirit a little bit. And I think that's the whole thing with starting conversations around fertility. Like you said, you wouldn't wish it upon anybody to go through this, but going through it alone is one of the hardest parts of it. So finding someone who can understand something that nobody really understands until they're in it themselves can make the world of difference. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a really good place for us to start because I would say that your years of going through um, some infertility challenges, like a lot of that was alone, you know, especially because you were building your career at the time. So um, I feel like it'd be good for you to give a little bit of an overview of um, your journey. And, I, and then I, a big point of conversation that I think is important is, your ability to have balanced work, like growing this unbelievable agency, and then trying to have a baby um, behind the scenes. So um, why don't you kind of start us off there? Sure, absolutely. So I have wanted to become a mom since I was at least four years old. <laughs> and um, I basically started to try to get pregnant the day before my wedding, basically. And I felt really confident that it would happen quickly. I was in a time in my life where I was one year into starting the agency, my imposter syndrome was starting to uh, fade a little bit. And I finally was starting to see some success. And, and I was feeling confident. And it felt like a really good time to go into this new chapter of my life. Um, and it didn't happen right away. And I am someone who uh, prides themselves on being an overachiever. And if I just work hard enough and think about it differently and approach it creatively, I can make anything happen. And I could not make this happen. Um, after about six months of trying, because I'm 
impatient and eager, I went to a fertility clinic and got some tests done. And I was told, there's nothing wrong, you should be able to get pregnant. So we started to do some cycle monitoring and I got pregnant on the first try. Um, I thought that was it, I'm pregnant and this is great and everything works out. And and uh, it turns out that eight weeks in, I had a missed miscarriage and I lost the baby. Um, and that was sort of the beginning of what started to be a very dark time. I was still really hopeful that I'll just get pregnant again next month but it didn't happen and it didn't happen the month after or the month after that. And then we started to realize that my uh, uterine lining was consistently low. Um, and we started to move into the realm of IVF months after that. Um, and it was really a long road, a long road where I ended up switching clinics because I didn't feel like I was in the best care, trying to figure out what was wrong because sometimes unexplained infertility can be, even harder because if there's nothing wrong, why aren't you getting pregnant? Um, and finally, I ended up at a clinic where I felt like I was in the best hands and I had great care, but I was starting to realize it might be really hard. And it came to a point where after a few rounds of IVF, um, I was told, so I have good egg quality and a good number of eggs, which is a huge, huge blessing. Uh, but I had a low uterine lining, which means I wasn't able to carry the pregnancies. Um, and so I was told eventually by the doctor that my best bet was going to be to get a surrogate to carry um, an embryo that's genetically my egg and my husband's, um, but I wouldn't be able to carry it. And that was really a hard thing to get my head around at first. And, and there's a long journey through that, that I can talk about. And, you know, the way that story ends is after I went down this whole surrogacy road and opened myself up to it and did all the research and talked to every person I could, could think of that has gone through this, I ended up finding a surrogate, Sam, and in some ways, she changed my life, because all of a sudden, this pressure was gone, I found someone who was going to help me bring my baby into this world. And the very next day after I met her, I went into the clinic, because I was doing an egg retrieval to have more eggs embryos for the surrogate. And they said, we don't know why we're three years into this. And somehow, you we think your uterine lining's okay. And we think we should implant the embryo in you and you can carry this baby. And that's exactly what happened. And I don't know why it happened then if it was, you know, meeting her or the stress going away or the combination of drugs or whatever it was that worked. And now I have my son, Oliver, who's a year and a half old, and he is the biggest miracle that's ever come into my life. I have, I know this story very, uh, <laughs> intimately and I have goosebumps just hearing you talk about it and I think like you know I'm I'm on day 12 of hormones right now so <laughs> my don't emotional... underestimate the power of hormones <laughs> yeah I'm getting very emotional hearing hearing you talk about it because it is just one of those stories where you're like this could never happen to me and I think that um there's a couple things I, I want to pull out from what you said and the first point is, um, it, I, I find these stories are, are amazing here, but then when you're in the infertility journey yourself, you're like, well, oh, I'm just supposed to like let go and it's going to come to me. 
And I just want to know your thoughts on that because I think that that's a huge piece of the story where it's like there is a sense of it's out of my control and then your body relaxes or, you know, these miracle situations happen. You know, you're not the first that has these stories. What are your thoughts around that or what what were your thoughts around that when you were kind of in it? I think that's a really good point because I just told the story from start to finish and you hear the happy ending, but it wasn't even at that time, like they said, oh, we can implant you now, you're going to get pregnant. I didn't start jumping up and down. It wasn't until I was months into the pregnancy that I even started to even believe that it could come to fruition because when you're in the depths of this muck and this thickness, it is impossible to believe that it's going to happen for you. It feels like it is never going to happen. And it's a really good point. Yes, it is partially stress related, but there is nothing more irritating when you're going through this than when people say to you, oh, you just need to relax and then it will happen for you. Why don't you take a bath? Oh, honey, (laughs) why don't you take a few days off? Everyone's well-intentioned and they're just trying to help. But this is not the type of stress that a glass of wine or a bath or a vacation is going to cure. It is completely on a different level and you don't have control of it. And the more you try to control it and the more you try to make that stress go away, the harder it becomes. I think this whole journey for me has been a real lesson in control. Like many people, I love control. I love to be in control. And this was a really good life lesson in the fact that we really don't have control over most things in our life. And when you have kids, you have even less control. Um, And it's really hard to accept that. It's really hard to surrender. Um, And it's just giving yourself the kindness. And I, I wasn't always great at doing this or letting myself off the hook throughout. But I don't think I think being hard on your, I used to get mad at myself, not only that it wasn't working, but that I was being too stressed. And all Mm -hmm. that does is make you even more stressed. But there is no magic answer. Like when you're in this, it is very hard to see the forest through the trees. And um, was there anything that you were doing during that time that did allow you to work on not being in control? You know, for me, I'm really playing around with this idea of mindset. So like, you know, living in a world where the outcome will be positive, not negative, is is something that I'm I'm working through right now. Because to your point, it's like you're in it. Um, so, so it just feels never ending. And that's just like not a way to live or not a way to be treating your body. Was there anything that you turned to that got you kind of from A to B? Absolutely. I think coping strategies are essential. And I tried everything under the sun. I did talk therapy, EMDR therapy for PTSD post uh, post miscarriage. I went to a hypnotist, I went to a psychic who told me I was going to have two children. She appears she might have been right. Uh, (laughs) Naturopath, acupuncture, you name it, I did it. I tried to grasp for everything. I think what it comes down to, though, is figuring out what really feeds you and when you're at your best. And that's different for everyone. So for me, 
having a morning routine has always been something that helps sets my mindset and my day up. So I meditate every morning, just 10 minutes. Um, and that just helps set me where I need to go. Exercise and healthy eating are something that are directly connected to my mental health. And journaling is something that I took up as well. And the mixture of those four things for, you know, maybe half an hour a day made a big difference for me. And there were some days that I didn't do them. And there were some days that I didn't feel like doing them. And I did them anyway. Um, so it didn't always work. And I didn't always feel good. But having those things at least made me feel like a I had some semblance of control that I could control the way I looked at things or thought about things or did something for myself that day. And even if it was just one of those things, it was a little bit of a win for me. I think that is so it's it's so important. It's like you also just need to be living your life like through throughout it all too. I mean, you there's a lot I want to go into in terms of actually balancing your work and um, dealing with some of your journey. But I, I don't want to miss the conversation around surrogacy because I think um, this is so important and like kind of being by your side during those decisions and having to accept those decisions. Like what was the point where you were like this, it, like my IVF, journey for myself is over and I now need to look at at another solution here was it the appointment that you had with your doctor was it something that like inner dialogue um because I think that people also could just keep doing IVF over over and over and over again um that like where was that for you for sure so the first clinic at I was at, it was very much that I felt like I wasn't getting the care I needed in terms of someone really paying attention to what was going on. And I was being told, we'll do another round next month, we'll do the exact same protocol next month, and we'll hope for a different result. And doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting a different result is truly the definition of insanity, <laughs> not to mention when you're paying 1000s of dollars to be able to do this every time. Um, and so when I went to this new clinic with this doctor, Dr. Hannum, who you go to now, who I am basically his number one hype woman, <laughs> his, his biggest thing was, let's make a plan. Here's plan A. If this doesn't work, we'll move to plan B. And down the road, one of those things I knew we were going to get to was surrogacy if we had tried all the other options. For a long time, the word surrogacy was the worst word in the English language I could ever hear. And going through infertility was the first time in my life that I started to get these triggers. So even just the word in the word surrogate or surrogacy would make my eyes well up in tears. I just couldn't handle the word. Like it brought up every fear in my being. But when I knew I was getting close to that part of the plan, because it was something that we knew was down the road on the path, I started to think about it more. I would sit with it. Um, and I talked to people who did it and went through it. And from those conversations, I realized something really clear and shifted my mindset. And that was that my goal has never been to get pregnant. My goal is to have a family and to have a baby. And surrogacy at that time was the path to my goal, not a barrier to it. 
So I needed to look at it that way. And that helped me open up to it. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't jumping up and down with excitement about another woman carrying my baby. I met someone who I connected with, with, and it's amazing what we're capable of evolving to and thinking about um, that we never thought we could be. Um, But it was definitely a hard road um, and definitely something that changed who I am even to this day. So when I hear you talk about the word surrogacy triggering you, um, that comes up for me when I hear the name, like the word egg donor. Um, It really, like my heart is just, I I can't go there. Um, But your point around the goal being the the family and the baby really resonates with me um, because ultimately we're privileged and we live in a world where there are other options to get to what you, what you want. My, where I sometimes go in my head where is that I don't want to say that that could be an option because I'm nervous that I'm almost manifesting it or I'm putting it out into the universe because I'm saying that that could be an option. Did that ever happen for you in terms of surrogacy? Like, did you, how did you get there? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think that, I mean, I tried not to talk about surrogacy or think about it because I just, I couldn't even sit with it. And I sort of shooed it away or turned a blind eye to it, which sometimes it was that elephant in the room, which I think could also still be manifesting itself into something a little bit because it's still there, whether I chose to recognize it or not. Um. But ultimately, I think it's positive that you don't, I didn't focus on surrogacy the whole time. I focused on getting my lining thicker. I focused on going to acupuncture and taking the right supplements and eating all the right foods. And I almost even got a vagina steaming at one point because I would have tried everything under the sun. What is a vagina steaming? It's something Gwyneth Paltrow has actually (laughs) talked about. And essentially, it's exactly what it sounds. It is a hot steaming for your vagina. And amongst other cleaning benefits, it is supposed to thicken your uterine lining because all of the it's drawing heat and blood flow to your uterine lining. There's no proof that this works or does anything. It is completely hocus pocus. But this is the level, this is where my mindset was that there is nothing I wouldn't have done and tried. I mean, I think I brought up this idea to a couple friends. And that's when I think talks of an intervention started around me because it just, I would go to such extremes and I was completely consumed by the process. Um, of doing it. And it also it made me feel like I was doing something to control it. But the truth was, it was either going to work or it wasn't. And it, and it wouldn't have mattered. Um, if I ate, you know, drank 10 cups of raspberry tea leaf a day and, and had vagina steamings, it just, that's not what was going to do it. But my my judgment was a little bit clouded in those moments. I get it. I mean, who, why wouldn't you be trying to, you know, steam your vagina if that was going to get you the baby? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think it just came to a point where there was nowhere 
that I wouldn't have gone to make this happen. And I think that was an act of motherhood. But I don't think I really started thinking about surrogacy or talking to people who had gone through it until the doctor said to me, that's going to be our next step. And I think you should start thinking about if this is something you can do. And I don't think you need to do it before then. I think you are still very much in your in your first round with this new clinic. There is still hope there. There are still a number of steps before you get to that. So I don't think that you need to be getting comfortable with it or forcing yourself to go mm-hmm. there yet. I, I trust that when if and when that time comes, you will, but that time is not now. So I think what you're doing with your mindset makes the most sense. Focus on that, focus on your own eggs and, and getting them and, and you do have them. So there's nothing to say that would happen. And look, at the end of the day, even after I did all of that, I still ended up getting pregnant by myself with with help, with, with intervention, but I still carried that pregnancy yeah. on my own. And, and now, you are pregnant again. I am. I'm having a baby girl this time, which I'm just thrilled to be having a healthy baby. But of course, um, having um, a son and a daughter is, is, it feels like a dream come true. And what's interesting is that um, you went into this, this is also an IVF baby, you went into, um, you went into it kind of preparing yourself for, you know, potentially a a road ahead. I mean, going into it your second time is always, I think, a little bit easier because you're going in eyes wide open, but, um, and not to share your story on your behalf, but you, this, this was a second transfer. So your first transfer before this pregnancy, um, didn't take. Yes. So I had Ollie, I waited a year to start again. And in a perfect world, I think we would have wanted to wait more than that. But because what we had gone through, we didn't know, is it going to work more easily the second time because we already had a baby? Or was I going to go through another three years of trying to get pregnant? We just didn't know. So we started IVF. um, And my lining got thick right away. It felt like a miracle. We could do a transfer on the first try. Nothing was wrong. And we did a transfer and I got a call saying you're pregnant, but your, your hormone levels are really low and it might be a chemical pregnancy, meaning it's not real. It's just showing some false numbers and we're going to monitor you. And we did, and my numbers went down and I lost that pregnancy and it was a huge hit emotionally. Um, It was very early on, but you know, I think after I had Ollie, I had done all this work to heal myself and enjoy my time with my baby. And, and I feel felt like I had left all of that um, baggage and darkness behind. And what I learned was, I didn't all of those fears and all of that was just lurking around the corner waiting to come out again. And it came flooding back really quickly. And I very quickly went into that state of darkness and fear that it wasn't going to work. And I did all the things and, and, you know, had some great positive self talk and did all of the things that worked for me. And we did another round and we were so fortunate that it worked on the second round. And so we didn't have to go through the gravity the second time of what we had to go through 
the first time, but this is sort of something that always stays with you. It changes who you are. This is something chronic on both a physical and an emotional level that I don't think that people really understand until they're going through it themselves. And I also um, feel like it took you to a dark place, but you were pretty amazing. Like you kind of, I think along the way you've let yourself feel the feelings and, and trust and know that those are, you know, waves and they're not permanent. So I think that that's actually a really interesting point because you're someone who's really close to me and you've seen all the sides and the raw motion and, and all of that. And you're saying you picked yourself up quickly and you were amazing the whole time. And it's interesting what other people think about you versus, you know, what people see. And I think you never know what's going on behind closed doors. Like, I think a lot of people, it, for the first time I was going through everything, I felt the need to really keep focused on the business and not even not let everybody know what was going on, but that I even wanted to have a baby. I was so career focused and I was building this business and I was figuring out my identity in that way. And I never let it show. And I think in hindsight, that was a little bit of a mistake. I drove into work every single morning, crying my eyes out in the car, and I'd pull it all together until I left work. And I'd either cry on the way home or cry when I was going to bed. And so I think there's a lot that we don't see. And I think a really big thing for me, I'm a very open, very extroverted person. I'm blessed with the most amazing support system in the world between lifelong friends, uh, newer work friends, my family of people who I could talk to who could be there for me, some who understood firsthand and some who just loved me and wanted the best for me. But for me, once I got over this big secret that I wasn't supposed to talk about, and I published an article in refinery 29 about my journey and talked about what I was going through. It felt so freeing to be able to just be open and say this is who I am. And this is what I'm doing. And that vulnerability while really scary at the onset was exactly what I needed to relinquish some of that pain and some of that burden that I was carrying on my own. Yeah, and I think that um... I think that that because you went through sharing your story and leaning on your people during the three years of your, you know, infertility journey, when you got hit with the fact that it didn't work um, the first time when we were, you were trying for your second baby, you kind of had some things in place for you to manage that um, differently. Would, would that be fair to say? Yes, yes, absolutely. I had those lessons and I could feel those feelings and I knew what to do with them. And I also, a big part of it was trying to stay in the moment and ride that wave um, and not try to control it as much. I think trying to relinquish that control, which is completely easier said than done, and sort of surrender into it is the only way to get through it. So what I want to kind of start talking a little bit about right now is um, balancing like your work, as you kind of noted before, um, while trying for a family. Um, what 
you know, what I'd, I'd probably say what you were doing on initially, you would never recommend to be doing now, which was, um, you know, basically living a dual life. I think it would be fair. Um, but like what, give us, give us a little picture or window into, you know, a few months of trying to build this agency, um, clinic visits, disappointment. I mean, there are some quite some interesting and funny moments that you've had (laughs) along the way, um, just to add some, um, lighthearted, IVF talk, I thought we could kind of dive into. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you have to try to find the humor in everything. But I was building this business and I needed to continue putting one foot in front of the other. And when you start IVF, I think the first time you ever give yourself a needle and you're filling the syringe with that liquid, you feel like you're basically a drug dealer and you can't imagine that you're doing this but very quickly it becomes second nature and I had to take my shots every night at 8 p.m sharp but a big part of my job was going out with my clients for dinner for drinks and building relationships in order to build the business and so um, here I went with my shots and we went on the Toronto IVF restaurant tour so whether I was in Alouette or Buka or the bathroom at Portland variety, I've taken fertility shots in all of those places. And it just became second nature that I would just excuse myself to go to the bathroom, give myself a shot in the butt and come back and order another glass of Sauvignon Blanc. And that's just the way things went. I mean, you're going every morning to um, the clinic to have to be monitored every day before work. And I'd bring my laptop and I'd work there and I'd be going to meetings. And, you know, here's a really important tip if you take anything away from this segment is think about what you're wearing to these doctor's appointments, because wearing bodysuits and rompers, if that's what you're wearing to the office, it's not a good idea. If you can't take your bottoms <laughs> off without also taking your top off at the doctor's office, you're going to be really embarrassed when like me, you're sitting there having an examination with a fur coat on top because you're (laughs) buck naked. Um, It's so on brand for you though. I mean, I'm sure your work's work's not happy if I say that, but um, I would love a photo shoot with you in a fur coat with your legs up. And I mean, you're, you are are someone that loves a strong um, romper or, or, what like a thong bodysuit body yeah with like a skirt on top situation <laughs> totally. why don't you just move it to the side Amanda like we went we've you know we've done that for years <laughs> fair but they it was a bit limiting this one that was a miss that was a uh that was a wardrobe malfunction <laughs> to the end to give the whole new level to wardrobe malfunction. Uh, but those are the things you have to laugh about. And that's why you also need a support system and friends. So you can also text them and tell them when these things happen and you have a laugh. Or when you are on all of these hormones and your emotions are out of control and you can text your girlfriend saying, I just left this grapefruit behind at the grocery store and I feel so bad that I hurt its feelings that I didn't take it with me because these are the real things and you want to admit that you're superhuman and that you know we don't want this emotional or crazy label put on any of us but the truth is that 
a lot of this is out of your control and it feels refreshing for me at least if you can just own it a little bit and on the topic of owning it um you know you own your own agency you've built it from the ground up what are you doing culturally to support um you know your employees going through family planning um can you just shed some light? And even, I know you've put some processes in place, but, you know, are you having conversations? What's your, where do you think the workplace is going in terms of this? That's a really good question. And, and something that's a really interesting point. So my business is 90% female. Um, yet somehow, and the PR industry in the agency world is very, uh, it skews female as well. Um, but somehow a lot in the industry don't feel like they can have a family and work in agency. A lot of people feel like, well, when that time comes, I'll have to leave this agency world um, and do a different sort of job. And so my goal has sort of been to show them firsthand that you really can have it all, although maybe not at the exact same time. A big message to my team is, well, first of all, leading by example and showing, you know, right now, I log off every day at 4.30 and I go get Ollie at daycare and I, I spend the evening with him until he goes to bed at seven. And sometimes I come back on and work when I need to. But I take that time for myself and talking to people on my team about life comes first. You can't pause your life for your career. Um, you need to make sure you're focusing on that. Um, but it's, you know, in individual conversations, and it's different for every person, you don't want to also assume that everybody would be going through this or even wants to have a family, everyone's different, but you do want to make them feel empowered to build a life that works for them. I think, you know, we did, um, we went through a process a couple years ago, where we rehauled all of our benefits from our parent company. So for thousands of employees, and I created a proposal to really focus on fertility benefits for that and took it to our HR lead and we were able to get better fertility coverage for people than we had before. We can still be doing better in that department. There's so much to be done. But it's really important for people to feel like they are able to have, have that career and also build a family or whatever else it is. I think in the workplace, there's such a shift towards health and wellness, and having that balance and integration. And so overall, that's a really big goal for me within culture that people have a safe space to come and have the resources they need fertility and otherwise to flourish in their life. That's amazing. Um, I'm not surprised that you were at the root of policy changes in your company. Um, and you know, I think it also brings to a point of what, what, when you look back at your journey, what do you feel you wish you had when you were going through it? Was it like more support from even a benefit perspective, clearly, with you making mm -hmm. that change? But do you feel there was a gap or anything lacking or something you wish you had? I think I wish I had the freedom or the allowance within myself to be more open. I think I wish I somehow had the knowledge or the support of someone to say, you don't have to come to work today, or maybe you shouldn't do this new business pitch two days after you've just suffered a miscarriage. I think I had this pressure that I put on myself 
very much more so than anyone else that I had to keep going and not let it show. And that made it even harder for me. So I think having that open dialogue and having those supports there is something giving women that freedom to own it and and also have the time and the space to grieve and mourn is essential. You know, you hear about policies changes in places like New Zealand, where they're now giving women two weeks off after every miscarriage as part of their, you know, government health policy. And those are the types of things that we really would benefit from. And then I think access, I think, you know, you mentioned you touched on it with benefits, but being able to have IVF and surrogacy and go through all the rounds that I went through is a privilege. And it's expensive privilege. And there are a lot of people that don't have the means and the resources to be able to do that. And we do. Ontario does give women one free round of IVF, but we need to be continuing to push that needle to make to give more women access and give women access beyond just one round. Because while one round is a great start, the grave reality is that one round is often not enough. Yeah. And it just shows that I think it's, you know, the government, yes, is putting it in place, but they're not educated themselves. So they don't even understand what giving one round really does. It's for many, it's just the test round, right. To see what's working and what's not. Exactly. So there's a huge education piece to be had. And I think just, you know, you think you're alone, but so many people are going through this. And that's also part of the need to just normalize this um, and to not make everyone feel like they're in the dark or, you know, as someone who, you know, I very much felt my identity over being an overachiever. And I just felt like the biggest failure. And I felt completely alone in that. Um, and so being able to have that open dialogue and have more resources, not just health resources, but things like this, where, you know, you're breaking down the barriers and you're just having very real talk and getting resources and finding your people in that sense. So beautiful. Um, what are some tips? So you're, you're a veteran, (laughs) no one wants to be called a veteran, you know, IVF person, but you've had three years that have, you know, ultimately changed who you are for people um, that are in it right now. Like, what are some, some tips that you can give that kind of worked for you? You know, I wish I had something that would say like, do this, and it's going to (laughs) make it super easy or work faster. Um, But it's not really like that. I think it's really about managing and managing something that's long term. So really looking at in in, you know, really looking internally, what feeds you is that exercise? Mm -hmm. Is it time Mm -hmm. with your friends? Is it time to yourself? Carve those things out and don't apologize for them. Feel the losses. I think there's a tendency, you know, it's okay, well, I can just get pregnant again next month. And so it won't be a big deal. But when you do that, you aren't feeling the grief and it is so real and part of the journey. The biggest tip I can say, and I I'm saying this and I have not taken this, been able to successfully take this tip from myself is ditch the timelines. I was always on this timeline that I couldn't miss a month and I had to keep going and I couldn't take a break and I couldn't go on a trip because I couldn't miss that cycle. And ultimately at the end of the day, I would have benefited from slowing down in order to speed up. 
But whether I have a child in June or October or the following year, in the long term, it's not relevant. And putting those timelines on ourselves is not benefiting anyone. Um, and then acupuncture was something that really helped me. Um, that really helped build my lining physically, that really helped with stress. Um, so those are just a few things that work for me. But I think it's really, it's, it's, this is also a journey in getting to know yourself on a different level and what feeds you and when do you feel at your best and then making sure that you consciously make time for those things. I love that. I think the what feeds you is such a good takeaway. Um, so just to kind of close what, you know, how has this experience really changed you? Like the before, you know, IVF Amanda, and now the, you know, almost mom of two, Amanda, what do you feel has been the biggest change for yourself? So I think I'm a completely different person now, but for the better. And I, growth does that to you. I think being outside of your comfort zone and feeling that awful, that awful feeling, once you come through it, it really does make you better. I think one of the ways is just my appreciation for my baby, Ollie, and for the one on the way. Not that I wouldn't have loved my children no matter what, but what I went through gave me a different perspective. I didn't care when I was puking in clients' offices during my first <laughs> trimester or up eight, at 3 a.m. with a screaming infant. Um, I also think it really helped bond, in, bond me in a different level with my husband and made us stronger together, made us like a true team. Because when you go through that with another person um, and, and, you know, really kind of put that for better for worse at a test, I think you can really come out the other side. So while I think in many ways, this was one of the worst experiences I've ever gone through, it's actually been one of the best experiences for how it's forced me to grow and evolve into who I am today. And that's someone who I really like. I really like her too. <laughs> <laughs> and I think also, you know, it, the support that you have given me through this has been like a lifeline for me. You know, the, I, I think you're like my first call after I get any sort of news. Um, and that in itself, in, in, in of itself, yeah. in and of itself, that sounds really weird coming off my tongue, but um, is, is like an amazing gift. Because, um, first of all, you're public about it. So I think other people going through it that are in your circle can lean on you. But you're, it's not just a leaning, like you, you, I mean, you're just a very empathetic person. Um, but you really have been that like, go to person for me because of your experience through it. Um, and that kind of closes the conversation in terms of how close we are because of this club that we're in. I love that. And I agree. It is like a kindred spirit thing. I mean, I was pregnant with Ollie when you went through everything you went through with Ruby and that, you know, being so close to someone going through that and being pregnant was, you know, you never want your friend to go through that no matter what. And it's absolutely 
tragic and heartbreaking and it's hard sometimes when you're so close to someone I think I do I tend to do this a lot being an empathetic person is that I want to take on somebody else's pain and I sometimes try to wear that as my own and sometimes can develop my own fears from it because I get too close um, but I think having someone that really can get in that ring with you and cry with you and feel that with you, that is how we heal is by going through that. And if we don't have to do that below alone, then we're all so much better off. Yeah, I, I definitely think that you were my person where I was like, I'm not going to feel this grief. And then I'd get on a FaceTime with you and you'd be like bawling. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> Like, no <laughs> and, it's gotta um, come out somewhere yeah you were my you were my emotional trigger <laughs> point <laughs> um well you know I want to end by asking this question to you which is you know what would be that and I know you've touched on it but really what would be that one piece of advice you would give someone starting day one of their IVF journey So to me, the beauty of day one is that you get to have it over and over again. The idea of day one signifies hope. It's the beginning of the cycle and it's the this time it will work. It's when it all starts again. And so my advice for anyone on their day one is to go with the hope, the flow, to cling to that hope, to forgive yourself, to ride the wave. It's not all or nothing if it doesn't work this time around or if you get three or eight or 20 eggs, if your lining is too thin or a hundred other factors. Surrender control and just keep putting one foot in front of another because eventually it will all add up and you'll be hanging out with your Ollie just like I am. Um, tearing up. <laughs> that was like so beautiful, obviously, from just such a, you're just such a, beautiful and um open and just like loving friend I love you so much I'm grateful for your time here and also just for all your help in getting day one off the ground you were my sounding board through this entire this this entire project this baby that I birthed um so I'm just you know I'm so grateful and I can't wait to hug you over the summer. <laughs> Me too. My only and this was so belly. much fun. <laughs> this was so much fun. My only wish is that we could have done it together. But well, I'm time. sure you're going to be a fan favorite. So uh, there's no <laughs> there's no doubt that you won't um we won't be doing this in person uh for another episode. So I can't wait. I'm so excited for you and everything that's to come. You're the best and I love you. And I can't wait until you're on the other side of this too. Me too. I love you. Thank you. I love you too.